you know, to my my opinion, it's played out in college football and probably college basketball that uh, through the the COVID year, the the teams that had veteran players, I think probably overachieved a little, and anybody that was breaking in new players, um, probably generally speaking, underachieved a little bit. Um, and and that makes sense when you have fewer opportunities with your guys, fewer chances to get everybody um, on the same page and and get real practice reps and preseason reps. Um, so I'm excited to have spring ball. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Just remember, Thursday is April Fool's Day, Redcasters, so don't fall for any tweets of Kevin Warren retiring or Pat Forty going on a 10-year sabbatical. It is opening day as well, Honk, so um, hopefully everybody gets gets out there and enjoys some Major League Baseball. Also with Boomer. Well, I'd like to apologize for any of those of you who uh, put money down based on the uh, NCAA betcast that we had. Uh, sure, our brackets didn't do great there, but if you listen to the uh, super special Division II betcast NCAA tournament we had, we got you the Flagler Saints in the Final Four, so always listen to the deeper <laughs> cuts, folks. <laughs> uh, good point, uh, Boomer. That was, a, that was a great call by you. All right, also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Yes, spring ball has begun, which only means one thing. Uh, the Redcast testing numbers are in. There's still a bit of a conversion going on. We have to figure out body weight, you know, height, age, and then, you know, there's a bit of a debate on grams of alcohol per liter with, uh, <laughs> with you know, like your clear liquors and dark liquors versus like your lager. So we're still working out that calculation, but those numbers should be in by the end of you know, never. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. All right. All right. Well, guys, uh, we uh, are back all as a group back. We missed you last week, but I did hear you guys hockey Mac on uh, the uh, varsity club podcast. Uh, So that was, that was nice. Yeah, it was, it was fun chatting with him and kind of airing out some of our grievances with the whole Oklahoma fiasco. And, <laughs> he dared uh, where I did not dare to go is actually ask Honky yeah, that question. Well, you know, just enough time to let to let a little scab form over the top of that wound. So yeah, it was it was good talking to him. He's always always a good chap. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And you know, Derek, you know, we gave him a lot of credit at the very beginning about how uh, the reason we think we're on the Herd at Media Network right now is because of the Varsity Club podcast, because of the kind of the notoriety that that gave us being on there one time a, a year ago, where it was all of us, and then Dave, you and I were on it uh, right before the last season. So, you know, that's the third time there, and it's just really cool to get to chat with him and kind of makes us feel like we're part of that Herd at Hale Varsity Network, and uh, it's just cool to to chat with the other shows. Yeah, you know, we'll have to start doing that more often mm-hmm. as we kind of dive into uh, this first full season with uh, Hill Varsity and Herd at Media. If anybody wants to uh, take advantage of uh, the Redcast connection with uh, Hill Varsity, you can go onto the hillvarsity.com website, subscribe to a monthly subscription to Hill Varsity Magazine, which comes with all their premium online content. Type in Redcast to get a uh, little bit of a discount there, and we get a few bucks on our side. So it's nice uh, for everyone involved. Um, and, you know, I, I was reading uh, some of that premium content uh, just earlier today, and Derek Peterson had an article about Mike Dawson taking over the special teams. Uh, we did have uh, the big uh, media press conference this week, and spring ball is kicking off, and 
we can now kind of dive into all things spring football. Yeah, you know, and that press conference yesterday, I mean, we've kind of broke it down. I know we're going to go over this here in a few minutes, kind of broke it down into five or six main talking points. But over the week, kind of leading up to spring ball, one of our favorite friends, uh, Chaz in SoCal, he wrote down uh, what are the top 10 items from most to least important that we need to address. And so I'm going to go through them here, and then I'll kind of go around the room and let everyone say what do you think is your top one and least, and we can just have a discussion on it. But uh, in no particular order, he said QB play, wide receiver room slash play, special teams play, offensive line play, recruiting, more discipline slash cleaner play, finding an offensive identity, developing a pass rusher, play calling, and lastly, in-game adjustments. Uh, Mac, I'm going to start over with you. From most important, what would be one or two of the top ones that you see out of that list that uh, to you are things that need to get addressed here in spring? I think for me, the the number one thing I expect to see, you know, going into the fourth year is more disciplined and cleaner play. Like, and I feel like that is a, a humongous priority. A lot of this other stuff that we're talking about here, you know, play calling, in-game adjustments. I think a lot of that's cleared up if, if you're playing cleaner and, and you're not having to come from behind the chains because of a dumb penalty or, you know, everybody knows the play at the same time. So we're running the same exact play. You know, one thing with this whole offensive experiment we've done so far with Frost is I've never felt like we've ever given ourselves We've never built on our own momentum in offense because we've always screwed it up with some sort of mistake in the middle. So it's like it's hard to tell how this this team would actually build on its own success because so many times we just get in our own way with a dumb flag or or a, a bad assignment. So if we could fix that, I, a lot of these other problems kind of just melt away, I think. Yeah, execution. Yeah. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, well, it's hard to argue against Mac on that one. I would agree that, you know, being more disciplined, cleaner play is our number one thing that we have to to move the needle on here. But um, looking at the rest of the list, I mean, so many of these are really important. It's, it's a it's a good list there by Chaz. Well, when you're coming off of three losing seasons, everything needs to get better, right? Yep, that's exactly right. I'm inclined to say that special teams play will make the biggest impact. So I, I also see that being highest on the mm-hmm. on the list there. Um, just pure bang for the buck, I suppose, for an improvement standpoint. I think you'll have the biggest impact on your points per game, uh, your yards per point, all those type of things, if special teams play and improve. So I'll go with that. Boomer, I'm sure that probably took your thunder there because you're thinking the same thing, special teams. But what else would you consider high on that list? Well, yeah, uh, special teams is obviously, you know, the biggest one. You know, I'd, I'd hate to be cudgeling a metabolically challenged stallion with, you know, hitting that again and again. But uh, just like Dave said, that's got probably the lowest bar and the easiest thing to show improvements. You know, we don't have to be in the top 10 of special teams. If you're just average, I mean, that's going to make a huge, huge change in how the season plays out and pay off probably the greatest dividends, you know, for that. You know, if we wanted to just find something else, you know, the discipline and cleaner play, clearly uh, we'd shoot ourselves in the foot time and time again, whether it's that dumb penalty or the, the bad sideline pass that goes for a fumble or drops us back 7 to 10 yards. Those are the, the simple things. You clean those things up and everything else just kind of falls into play. For what it's worth, those are the top two that we responded at, as the Redcast to Chaz. Uh, number one and number two were more disciplined, cleaner play, and special teams. Um, I'll just throw number three out there, and it was developing a pass rusher. And uh, that was something that, you know, the defense is getting more experience. We're going to talk about that, I think, in a couple weeks when we really break down the defensive side. 
But despite how much better the defense got better last year, uh, having all these leading tacklers back, the pass rush still isn't necessarily there. And getting that developed from multiple players, a D-end, an outside linebacker, that will be key. I mean, Honky, I guess the question is, I could agree with that ranking. Do you think it's going to happen, though? That's probably the bigger one of the bigger challenges here. I think, you know, just uh, the first two we can say from – from a coaching and emphasis in practice and more focus on special teams, I can see an improvement there. Um, but, you know, developing a pass rusher also means you, you feel like you've got one on the roster. Mm-hmm. So who would that be if we say we have the right pass rusher that makes a difference on the roster? Yeah, I, I think right off the bat, um, if we're going outside linebacker, JoJo Doman immediately is somebody who already is a bit of a playmaker. He can be a, a blitzer out there. And he's been able to get to the quarterback in the past. So he would be somebody that I'd be trying to build off of. I think Payne coming back. If Payne would have had a whole offseason going into last season, I think he would have been that much more effective. And, you know, Caleb Tanner, that's a guy he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still around. Love to see him, you know, get developed in that. This is a personnel question. So are there other players that are, you know, involved that maybe weren't playing last year? Well, we'll see what Blaze Gunnerson, you know, turns into. We'll see uh, what someone like maybe Messiah Newsom, who didn't play a lot last year. From the D-line, I don't really necessarily – there's not a D-end that just jumps off the page to me as a pure pass rusher. But at the same token, Rodgers and, and Robinson were guys that were able to get into the backfield, get some pressure. Ben Stilley actually made a lot of improvement last year at an elder age. As a fifth-year senior, you normally don't see that big jump. I thought he made a pretty big jump last year as a pass rusher. So those at least would be the guys that we'd be talking about. I also think you could throw Nick Henrich on that list too if he stays at outside. You know, that's he was a very young player last year and mm-hmm. that kid's got a nose for the ball and he's I think he's got playmaker written all over him. That's kind of the exciting thing about this defense coming back is is we're not counting on a bunch of really young guys uh making a big jump. Hendrick is is one of those guys, you know, we have players in that position, but he's a guy on the come and I think as, as we get him developed another year in the strength and conditioning, who knows? I mean, that could be a guy that could really generate some pass rush. He's a playmaker. Could you see where we have a better pass rush this year due to the experience of our secondary? And maybe there's some coverage sacks that come out of our defensive play this year? I absolutely think that's a, that's a possibility. I, I expect our, our secondary to be ready to go out of the gate this year, and that should allow for some of those guys to, to do some work up front. Caleb Tanner's a great call about that, Honk. But, I mean, those those interior guys are going to be stout. So the way the, with the experience we have coming back, Deontay being back there, you know, who knows what we're going to do with Cam Taylor-Britt. I mean, he might mm-hmm. lead us in sacks next year. Who knows if, they, if they're going to bring him off the corner or not. But expect that guy to do more than just play corner. And playing coverage. So yeah. I, th- I imagine the sacks are going to come from all three levels. And I will say, I think Heinrich's a great pick there too. Because with Kolarevic, who came in the transfer from Northern Iowa, you have him with Reimer and with Honus coming back uh, the way he did. He's one of the, the super six that you're going to hear about from the, the press conference. That inside linebacker group, maybe Heinrich doesn't need to be playing there next year. And if he can move outside, Mac. to all the point you said there, his size, his length, his athleticism, and the guy can be a playmaker – Dave, to your earlier question, he could be one more of those guys that could add to that pass rush that we're looking for. Um, let's go to the other end of it. What are those, out of those 10 things, what are the ones that were towards the bottom of importance to you? Well, it's hard to say. I, I'm i kind of split between recruiting 
I'm just going to stay recruiting. I, I think it's just going to be a really tough year recruiting. Uh, we need home games, and uh, the earlier the better. I think right now as it sits, we only have one home game scheduled till October. Uh, and even for recruiting, um, a lot of kids will have made their decisions by then. We haven't had recruits on campus in almost a year and a half, two years. So I think we're looking at any and all options to try to uh, change the schedule to, to get more home games and get more home games early. I don't know how much focus or effort you could add to that that's going to change any of the outcome right now. I'm sure they've put all their effort into it. Right now, the best thing we can do for recruiting is get better on the field. And, and I mean, I feel like that's going to have to be the focus. We're, you know, it's going to be well documented, the guys we miss out of uh, Nebraska this year. Uh, so we need to take care of the guys that are on the team this year and, and show these, you know, these young high school players out there that this is a place that's, that's making a move. Yeah, and you know we're going to have a very full roster this spring. We've got a lot of new guys that came in. I think we're most in the country with uh, newcomers that are on campus here in spring. Plus, when you add the six guys that came back too, on top of the rest of the players, uh, recruiting isn't going to fix us right now. <laughs> That's too far in the future. I would put that down on that list, Dave. Nor can you say that recruiting per se has been the problem the last three years, right? We've mm-hmm. gotten good recruiting classes. Now you can you could mention retention and all those type of things, but just purely recruiting isn't necessarily the issue. And yet you look at this roster and you see there's a lot of depth and talent on paper. It just needs to produce. I mean that comes to one of the other ones you had on your list, uh wide receiver room uh play, right? I mean on paper, that room looks like it should be able to produce and pull its own weight, right? We need to see that on the field this year, though. Absolutely. I mean, you think about that wide receiver room, and between Oliver Martin, who will be a scholarship player, he's he's walk-on right now, but he'll be scholarship, and he's a four-star out of high school. Xavier Betts, a four-star out of high school. When we got Omar Manning, he's a four-star, right? The one that isn't a four-star is Torrey. And he's the one that comes in with the most accolades from what he did at Montana. And all these guys fit the profile of the receiver that we're looking for right now. You know, you add Thomas Fedoni in there, a top 50 player at tight end. You know, the accolades of recruiting isn't the thing that's going to be the issue with this team next year and in the future. And it hasn't been really over the last five, six, ten years. It is getting these guys developed and fit into the system and, and playing up to the potential, playing up to the ranking that they got. I've talked about Jeffrey the Greek and over there at Eyes on Big Podcast, and they did a really good Big Ten recruiting show last week where they broke down every single Big Ten school, their recruiting rankings, where they finished up. And when they were talking about Nebraska, I thought they were very fair about us. They talked about how over the last 10 years, Nebraska's never finished worse than sixth in the conference in rankings. And usually we're somewhere between kind of that three to six, generally speaking. That's not the issue. (laughs) The issue is when... Guys get here, you know, some of them are leaving and they leave because of fit, the Florida guys, and just not maximizing the talent that we have. What is always talked about with the Northwesterns and the Iowas and the Wisconsins, although some of those schools are improving in their recruiting rankings, but generally speaking, what's usually talked about those schools, they maximize the players that they bring in. Northwestern maybe doesn't get a four-star on the entire team, but it doesn't matter. You know, they get the most out of every three-star that they possibly have. Yep, absolutely. It's a good point, Honk, and uh, one that will have an impact long term, but we'll, for this purpose. All right. Anything else you want to cover on uh, Chaz's tweet? No, I just, I think it's a good intro, and I want to thank Chaz for that. And he suggested that we even talk about that on the show here. 
I think it's a good discussion just to kind of get us into what we're going to talk about now, which is the press conference and the takeaways from yesterday and the fact that it's spring ball. It's starting now. You know, what are the things that we need to address and get better at? Yeah, you know, um, hockey, it, it seems like we're one of the last schools to probably start spring ball. I mean, a lot of other Big Ten schools have already uh, kicked off. Some of them feel like they've already finished, right? Like Purdue was very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Ohio State is well into their spring ball. I imagine a lot of the schools down in, in the south, um, well, it's already getting hot down there. So they, <laughs> they've already, uh, you know, wanted to get the spring spring uh, ball in. So it is interesting that um, – we are starting this late now, you know, in the last couple of years, we've always had spring break inserted into our spring ball. So it's been like a six week camp. Now this time it's only about four weeks, right? So it's a little bit different. They're going to put 15 practices in just in one month, right, Hunk? Yeah. And Frost talked a little bit about that yesterday. Uh, starting spring ball late. And I, I do think the weather will be good. Um, I'm glad we don't have spring break in the middle of it to break up Spring practice, I think we'll get more out of spring practice that way. Um, and really the only risk you run is if you get the type of injury there where somebody's out for a while, you're getting closer to season. But um, those are the risks you have to run to, to practice hard and get better. But yeah, you know, so this is going to be a little bit different uh, spring just because of the timing of it, it being later, all the things that Frost mentioned there. You know, I think Boomer <laughs> was joking about it earlier that, you know, Purdue got done somewhere around February with their spring ball. So, you know, we're going into May but I like how it keeps the team together for spring. We don't cut it in the middle with the spring break. Um, I think those are good good moves. So there's some benefits, I think, of having it now like this. As far as some takeaways, and Mac, this is where I think I can get you talking. You forever have been a performance testing guy. I mean, from the day I knew you first met you in the 90s, you're talking 40 times and vertical jumps and all that. And a big takeaway from yesterday is the performance testing and, and the fact that they're starting to be released again. Uh, we just did testing for the first time um, since I've been here. Um, old school testing like we used to do uh, with performance index and uh, 40s, 10s, agilities, vertical jumps, squats, and cleans. Um, seeing the improvement that our guys made in, in those areas, I think, gives them a lot of confidence. Yeah, it's cool to see that. Uh, you know, it was always kind of a fun time of the year. It was sort of the kickoff to spring and see how the players look. I mean, I don't know how many times we go to those coaches' clinics and, like, you know, part of the excitement was like see how the freshmen developed or see how the sophomores developed. I'm like, who's going to make that big jump? And now, you know, to have a quantifiable way to test it again and sh- and show that not just year after year, but over time and how these guys relate in comparison with athleticism to to teams that we've revered in the past. So mm-hmm. it kind of goes to the point, like, well, hey, if, if we've got athletes on this team, I mean, the, the performance and the performance index literally shows that. At the same time, you know, that if they're going to post that and they're going to show that, then they're a bit on the hook for it now, too. If you're going to say how good our athletes look, how fast and strong our athletes look, well, then it's just coaching, right? Yeah. At that point, it's just going to be, what do you coaches do to win? Hey, Matt, could you uh, give our listeners a little bit of uh, history and background on the performance testing? You know, speaking about, like, you know, what Boyd Epley probably did uh, under Osborne and then even under, like... Uh, Polini, I suppose. I remember going to the coaches' clinics with you guys and seeing, like, Taylor Martinez, obviously, like, for, like, speed and whatnot was always on top of the list, right? But were, were those very different performance testing between, let's say, a more recent coach like Bo Polini and then back in the day in the 90s with, with Osborne? I know that formula has changed over time since it initially came out. And I, I would be curious to see how Bo did it. I think there was still remnants of how, like, 
how Epley and them had come up with it. And a lot of it is just based off of, they take into account your weight and your size, you know, versus just your, your core numbers. And that's how they relate it to actual athleticism and explosiveness. So I think you'd probably extrapolate the, the numbers over time and get a pretty fair representation of what the athletic level or cap or average was of a team, right? So no, it's probably pretty similar, although I wouldn't, and you know, I'm not going to be all, frosty on this and talk about the previous staff but but you never really heard about any kind of testing numbers with those guys you never really heard any kind of performance metric that they were using to see how these guys were getting stronger so you know all the charm of this stuff is worn off and all the all the novelty of getting back to how we used to do things is it's just background noise until we start winning games but I, but again it goes to like when i look at what the staff does on paper this seems to be the steps i would like a, a staff to take to win games mm-hmm and Duval was a disciple of Epley from back in the 90s. So for sure, I would think that this is as close to uh, as similar to what we were doing back then. I mean, obviously, they've made changes and updates over the last, you know, 25, 30 years of. And in fact, we, Mac, we watched Duval a couple years ago doing a talk where he had Epley there in the crowd and they were showing some of the same stuff, some of the same lifts, some of the same, you know, marks that they, how they were tracking things. So things I'm sure have been updated, but there is some similarities. So much so that, you know, even sophomore center Cam Jurgens, he talked about how, you know, Frost would reference to them how the numbers that they're putting up this 2021 group, they're right on par with some of those programs, great teams, which proved that they aren't as far off physically as some may have thought. And that goes right back to what you said, though, Mac. If we go out there and we're getting boat racing games, or if we're not playing well in games and we're just getting beat and we're getting beat by lesser teams and the things that have happened over the last four or five, six seasons – then there's a problem, right? The good news is all the concerns anymore about getting pushed around and all that, I mean, we felt pretty good by the end of last year that that stuff was over anyways. I definitely feel it's over now. In fact, Frost talked about how all but seven guys on the team right now tested better in every single category, every single performance index category. All but seven players were better. They tested well. Um, I think we're probably saying going to release uh... – uh, a lot of the testing results, um, and, and we'll get that probably out this week so people can have an idea of the, the work that that Zach and his group did and the work the players did this offseason. Um, I was really happy with the improvements we made. I think uh, Zach told me all but seven players on our whole roster improved in every single category of testing. Um, so that, that's quite a improvement across the board. So if we were pretty pleased with where the team was physically by the end of last year, there's no reason for us to think that it it hasn't made even a a larger improvement since then. No, absolutely. And Mac, uh, I think we saw some of the early names on, on the uh, performance testing. Damian Jackson, for example, was at the top of that list. Is that a big surprise? No, he's in every single weight room picture I've ever seen. You know, <laughs> I think he actually lives there. He might have like a tent there. He's the new Curtis Cotton, I think. Right, Mac? I mean, we're gonna he must see just him on... stand by the door and say, "Hey, you need a spot? Hey, you need a spot? I'll spot you." You know, what if he'll make the NFL just purely on his physicality? Right? He, he's just ridiculous looking, and his testing numbers are impressive. Yeah. They really are. The, the NFL or the WWE? One of the two, Dave. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. I could totally see him in wrestling. Boomer, you'd have to enjoy that. 
Well, actually, I think he'd be better suited to maybe AEW or uh, I'm more of an NWA guy anyway than the WWE. <laughs> Vince would just waste his talents there and stick him in the undercard and never be heard from again. So he'd, he'd be better served elsewhere. Very true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ultimate fighting, something of that nature, I'm sure, could, uh, could be uh, in the future for Damian Jackson. Uh, well, uh, Boomer, now that I've got you engaged and we've seen Michigan uh, fall to UCLA in the East Regional Final, there's no Big Ten team in the Final Four. Go figure, guys. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk uh, special teams, right? We did finally hear, as Honky has alluded, I think, to for months now, that Mike Dawson, uh, outside linebackers coach, also now will be officially carrying the title of a special teams coordinator. Mike Dawson's going to do it for us now. Um, he's been a special teams coach at a lot of different places, and, and the one – 1A level, uh, so he's going to be the lead for us on all the special teams and, and certainly get a lot of help from the other assistants just like we had last year, but uh, Mike's going to take the lead on it and uh, as long uh, as well as coaching outside linebackers, so um, excited for, for much-needed progress there. So that's a departure from what we had last year where just an analyst um, was in control, and now we're back to having a full-time assistant have the coordinator title. So, Boomer, your your thoughts on Mike Dawson? Well, he's had, uh, you know, special teams coaching experience before at Boston College. And, you know, I took a look at their stats. You know, they weren't world beaters again in every facet of uh, special teams, but they did have some good, you know, place kickers and a quality punter to, you know, come through there. So I think uh, statistically average, they were somewhere in the 70s. But, you know, considering where Nebraska's been ranking the last few years in special teams, we'd take 70s, you know, in a heartbeat, I think. so. That's almost average. Yeah, yeah. So that's about what you'd want, I think. Just if we could get to that, you know, we already mentioned how big of an improvement that would be. It's just kind of been interesting just to see how coaching staffs have just been – it seems like every other year is just – they're throwing – not just this staff, but every staff are just throwing something at special teams, seeing if something will work. It's just – it's been a problem for us for so long, and, you know, we've had – Full-time coaches, well, full-time coaches that golfed a lot, you know, like Reed, and then, you know, you switch it to other people. You have, you know, defensive coordinators take a stab at it, and then analysts, and now we're back to a, an actual assistant coach with that tab. So they're trying everything. I, I, they're just hoping something works, and let's hope this is it finally. Yeah, you know, Honky, it does seem like there's still a team effort with this. Dawson has the official title, but um, it seems like Bill Bush um, as a – analyst is clearly going to play a role in this as well right bill's going to help primarily with the defense just off the field uh, schematics and things with helping our coaches i'm sure he'll give a hand uh, to coach doss on special teams too uh, he brings a lot of expertise to the table that i think our coaches will be able to utilize you know i think it's not just something as simple as just throwing coaching at it i mean there has to be real intention by a an entire program to get good at special teams and boomer's you know, harped on that from day one about, you know, Urban Meyer as a head coach being involved in this. Well, this isn't, it can't just be uh, Mike Dawson's the guy that's going to fix this. It has to be Mike Dawson plays his role, but then we get a guy like Bill Bush that comes in as an analyst and he plays a role maybe with some of the depth charts and, and setting up some of those things. And then there's going to be uh, Coach Tuioti in Austin that are playing roles with the field goal and the field goal block teams. Frost, if he's not doing as much with the play calling during the games, he can play more of a role when it comes up to, hey, we're going to be punting soon or something's going to be coming up strategy, right? I mean, this has to be an emphasis of a lot of guys and a, and a real team effort to make this truly not number three. This is not the third team. 
this is one C, one A, one B, and one C are offense, defense, and special teams. They're all equally important. You said at the very beginning, Dave, if you want to improve everything from your field position to your points per play, all that, it starts with special teams. And uh, that's how crucial it is. And they spent some some serious time talking about it. All right. Well, uh, let's let's talk more about the press conference. And you know, hockey. I'm sure you've listened to absolutely every second of it. Uh, but I'd imagine uh, an emphasis of yours was Scott Frost and the Q and A there. Uh, what were your uh, big outtakes? Well, you know, I think the number one thing. Uh, when it comes to the scheduling, we've heard a lot about all the NUOU stuff. That horse has been beaten well, right? But they definitely focused on September 4th, that week one, that we are trying to move up some game into that spot. We were scheduled to play in Ireland week zero. Made a lot of sense playing overseas to take week one off and get your feet back under you when you get stateside. Uh, now that that game's not overseas, um, Sure, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to have a, a week one by. Um, I think bringing our players back a week early and then asking them to play one game and, and sit out doesn't make a lot of sense. And the biggest thing for me is I, I think the city of Lincoln starving, our, our uh, local economy starving uh, for home games and getting in the stands to see uh, our football team. You know, so much so Frost said, you know, we are considering all options to change the schedule to get more home games and to get those home games early. And I think. You know, you heard it there in the audio, and Frost really wants those home games early for everything from recruiting to helping the Lincoln economy. I mean, this is a lot on one guy's shoulder right now. I, I, honestly, I hope he just kind of focuses solely on just getting the football good. But at the end of the day, getting another game early because of the way that this schedule is so weird to, to have three of your first four games being on the road, to have a, a week zero game, to have a week two or a week one bye week, all those things are strange. But once everything kind of played itself out with we're not playing in Ireland, uh, we don't have to worry about that long trip back home afterwards, you can just tell that they really want to get a game on that September 4th here in Lincoln. Yeah, Hawk, I I agree with you. It seems pretty obvious that they're determined to play a game on September 4th, uh, whether that's against Southeast Louisiana or some other uh, FCS school. Um, The Boomer, the FCS schedules are a mess um, we were talking about this before the, uh, the sh- we started recording the show. You know, you look at Southeast Louisiana; they only have four or five games on the schedule. Sure enough, they are scheduled to play a game on September fourth versus was it North Georgia? I believe uh, North a directional Alabama, Georgia I believe. school. Yeah, but what's the difference North. really? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, but that school also only has four or five uh, games on the schedule. A lot of these schools are actually playing right now in. Sp- spring as FCS, right? Uh, Southeast Louisiana is 2-2 two and two right now. So um, there seems to be a lot of things in motion here. But the one thing that seems certain is that they do want to play in Memorial Stadium in Lincoln on September 4th. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out, what teams are available, you know, who'd have a slot open up at that point, and just how they're even going to shake out these schedules. Like you said, teams are going to be playing here for the next few months and how many of them are going to turn around and want to play right away, you know, in the fall or what they plan to do. That's all up in the air at this point. But, you know, some people, you know, compared it to Bethune and Cookman, you're just going out finding that team that really needs the money for their amateur players, that sort of thing. And, you know, there's usually always somebody like that you can slide in. Yeah, a lot of variables that are going to come into play, but I, I imagine we'll see that come into focus here probably sooner than later. It's going to have to just based on, you know, where we're looking at time-wise. I mean, you're 
you know, less than six months away from that, or almost five months away from that game. So you'll see it move pretty quickly. And, you know, just to see if the Redcast gets results, we've said that we do in the past, I'm going to continue to harp on something that we brought up a week ago, Dave, and that is really the need for a 13th game. Uh, the NFL, I just saw, I think they're going to 17 games next year, and they're trying to recoup this one extra game to get more funds, more resources, you know, more money coming in to, to make up for last year. But um, Frost on multiple occasions said yesterday about trying to get more home games. Well, obviously moving a game from later in the season to September 4th doesn't give you more home games. It just moves one to the beginning, which still has a lot of value. We want to get an early home game. Absolutely. But it's still not more. That's just going to be your seventh home game. But as we talked about at nauseum a week ago, there's a lot of value in having an eighth home game, not just for Nebraska, but for a lot of schools out there. You know, my preference right now, I I love college football. I'd love to see more college football. Uh, I'm not nearly as big of a pro fan, but if I was, I would love having 17 games versus 16. Well, (laughs) I would love 13 versus 12 right now, especially in this one year where you're needing – that extra revenue. So it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of it. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm making something out of nothing here, but uh, it was just interesting. He, a couple of times he kept talking about getting more home games. Maybe it's just the way he said it and he didn't intend it that way, but uh, I would like that. I would love an eighth home game. And as we're talking about that, none of that is touching the OU game. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that's right. that is a separate conversation, right? We just, we'd like eight home games. I, I like how hockey you're you know, reading into uh certain ways that Frost may say something and like maybe he does want to try to get a, an eighth home game and maybe we are going to try to petition for 13 games so it's like the media takes a press conference in Nebraska and they'll read into so many different things yep. you know it's just unbelievable like facial expressions somehow become like you know like well I think he means this because he <laughs> smiled at the end of that sentence and you know I mean he he giggled at Sipple when he asked this question, so this means that, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. He said red in one sentence and cast five sentences later. He's, he listens to us, I swear. <laughs> I swear. Uh, so, Mac, uh, let me bring you in, into this. Um, obviously, we're always trying to glean things from these interviews, and uh, sometimes the coaches do name drop. Uh, was there any certain players that uh, kind of stood out um, being mentioned by Frost or, or others in the uh, Q&A? Uh, yeah, I would say to, to no one's big surprise, uh, Austin Allen did mention that Fedoni's been looking pretty good. Uh, you know, very willing learner. He's trying really hard. All things you want to hear about a, you know, a hot shot incoming freshman. So Austin Allen's really kind of built himself up to be quite a tight end here. And I think he's got a chance for some postseason accolade so I would listen to what he is saying and I would take what he says pretty seriously I mean he's not a guy that's you know blowing smoke so other guys you know I think Frost and staff have learned pretty hard the the hard way I should say uh, about mentioning players before they play I don't know if if you're gonna hear too much more of that but but when he did mention the players like like say the wide receivers he went down the whole list he didn't skip anybody been really impressed with Omar's progress and on top of a lot of other guys um we just need Omar to be there every day and keep improving. His talent will take care of the rest. Uh, but like I talked about at that position, um, excited for Levi Falk and Oliver Martin and Xavier Betts. Uh, will Nixon's back. Wyatt Lever's doing some really good things. Uh, Wyatt would have tied the all-time record for agility run at Nebraska had Deontay not beat it. So um, just a bunch of guys at, at that position that I'm excited to see compete in spring. Uh, Lante Brown tested great 
so the the talent's really good there, and and I'm excited to see those guys compete. You know, and you get to the end, I'm like, well, he didn't say Xavier Betts. Uh, that's a bad sign. You know, he kind of did a good job of of laying out everybody, and I hopefully that's what goes forward. I get a kick out of these guys breaking down these. You know, what he was really saying there was, I'm like, that's not what he said, you know, but that happens all the time after these interviews, you know, and I think we can take that to mean that uh, we're going to see more of the same running quarterback. I'm like, I, none of that he didn't say. So, you know, I, I have my own take on these and I'm pretty comfortable with them and I'll always frame them pretty rosy, but uh, I'm thinking nine wins. <laughs> Sipple asked the question about uh, the running quarterback. And, you know, is there something that they're going to be working on this spring uh, basically to try to, you know, get more of that run game into the running backs' hands and less into the quarterbacks? And, and Frost really didn't answer that. He just yeah. he just got into fundamentals. <laughs> Seemed like an easy one to answer, too. <laughs> it should have been a hard yes. You know, like, oh, yeah, especially with Wandell being gone. We're going to have to. <laughs> well, speaking of the running backs, Mac, what did you think about, uh, you know, they had some talk about there's six guys in that room right now, six scholarship players. So what did you uh, think about them talking uh, in regards to that room? Um, I liked he, he's just open competition. Uh, running back similar. You know, we have a, a bunch of young guys, a transfer. Um, all those guys look great right now and look great in testing and coming out of winter conditioning. So uh, it's going to be a competition, and uh, everybody's going to get their chances to show what they can do, and uh, we'll see who comes out on top. I think, you know, some of that talking about making an emphasis on the running game and he mentioned, you know, drilling down on the fundamentals. I think that was more of him hearkening back to last year and having those young guys in there and not really able to not really being able to get mm-hmm. them in there and, and get the feel for the just the base of the offense before they could get too cute with it. And so hopefully sure. that stuff's being eliminated right now. You know, I know everybody thinks Step's going to just walk right in there and take the job. I'm not one of those guys, though. I think he'll be valuable. I think he could he'll be a contributor, but I don't think that room is so uh, talentless that he could just come in and do that. Agreed. Plus, I will not be burned by a by a transfer again. Yep, I will not. <laughs> I, I've been hurt yeah. too much, especially running backs. Man. Anyone telling you right now, oh, it's his spot to lose, but the, at the same time that they're saying, wait until these guys practice. <laughs> well, guess mm-hmm. what? We haven't seen yeah. Step practice once either. I think something that was interesting that I'm going to keep harping on this, and no one else seems to be really hitting on this. Is there any value in Ron Brown as a senior offensive analyst? I don't think I heard his name come up, but he's going to be involved with football, something that he hasn't really been the last couple years in his role. Now he's going to be involved with the X's and O's of it, and there's that room with six scholarship running backs, all of them on campus now. We're not waiting for that next Dedrick Mills or whoever to get here. They're here now. How can Ron Brown help out, you know, in that room and help out Ryan Held get that group of six into some kind of order that's going to be a pretty solid group come fall? Yeah, well, it can't hurt, right? I mean, there's no doubt that uh, Ryan Held has been able to recruit to that room. Um, we like the talent in there, again, on paper, but um, we got to get those guys to perform. And Ron Brown has a track record of, of making that happen. Uh, it's been a while. Let's let's be honest, right? But I think you know something like this can kind of energize a coach later in his career. Maybe he was kind of um, exhausted in the role he was um, with the player development role, and so uh, you know this is something that he wanted to do still, and um, definitely allows him to get back into the X's and O's and the personalities in that running back room, and hopefully that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Hockey, you mentioned that you know you're not going to follow kind of the hype train on on transfers but it's been interesting to me 
in the sense in that wide receiver room, considering everybody's snake bit on the Omar Manning hype train, except for Red Cash Rob, obviously. <laughs> um, but Samore Ture seems to be getting a pass on that a little bit, right? And it seems to come from the fact that he's produced at a high level at the FCS uh, level, right? That he had some really big games, a great season there up in Montana. He's going to make us better in the pass game. Uh, we're going to start him off inside uh, and let him compete with a couple other guys. Uh, I think he's going to give us somebody that can, can get down the field and give us a, a threat in the passing game from the slot. Uh, he's a bigger body that will help us block and um, also be able to catch crossing routes and be a little bigger target for us in the slot. So I, I expect him to make us a better team. Do you uh, give him a pass here, though, and say, yep, he's he's definitely going to be a major contributor? I mean, a lot of these you know, pundits have, have him on the top of the list as our number one wide receiver next year. Yeah, Dave, I think that's a great point. And, you know, Mac mentioned it earlier with the wide receivers that Frost, when he talked about them, he mentioned them all in a group. But Torrey was the one that they talked about a little bit separately and gave some specific, you know, time to. He clearly comes in with a lot of accolades. I think he comes in as a serious player. I mean, this is a guy, he could have gone pro. He would have probably been a day three draftee, but he's transferring here specifically for a one season, get better, get his name out there, play big competition and make plays. That's what he's here to do. Lubick mentioned that they're going to be starting him at the slot. And that surprised some people that, you know, he'd be starting inside. I wouldn't read too much into any of that because Lubick also went on to state how all the wide receivers are cross-trained to play any position. Heck, even tight ends like Fedoni, they're cross-trained to play multiple positions. And, you know, and so Mac, I mean, I, I don't have any concerns there with where or how they're going to play Torrey. He'll get his snaps, he'll get his chances, and, and I'm sure he'll do fine. Yeah, this, the slot's interesting that he kind of came out and said that for two reasons. One, it makes our slot a lot bigger. Yep. You know, you're talking about a 6-2, 6-3 slot versus what we were dealing with last year and, and and the height difference that we're going to be have with that, but the other the other side of that is maybe that's a good sign for the guys on the outside. You know, maybe Betts, maybe Omar are holding it down out there. Do they think we got to get all three of these guys on there? Because if if we're willing to put Toure, who's probably the most well, certainly the most seasoned of those guys at the slot, then that must to me. I'm hoping I'm re- hey I'll read into things. That's fine. I'll do it too. <laughs> you know, maybe that means those outside guys are do good. One of those guys, I think. I've recently started getting on this Oliver Martin kick. You know, he, we, you know, when he got here, he just did not move the needle for me at all. You know, he just, I don't know if he got here in an awkward time for me. Maybe we had a loss. I can't really remember. But like going back and look at some of his film and his All American tape, he's a player. I, I don't know. Like he came on late. He was one of those guys that honked that we were waiting for to get here and then he wasn't eligible right away. So like giving him a full head of steam in a spring and a fall, that could be a real sneaky good spot. My, it's not even that se- sneaky. I think he was – I mean, he was a four-star. Yeah. Yeah, one of the quietest four-stars you could possibly imagine right now. His name's definitely um, picking up steam um, in the local media. And you're right. He had a really great uh, end of the season. He seems to be a you know, probably a significant upgrade uh, just, just talent-wise um, to be – if that's your possession receiver, that's pretty good. Right, Mac? Yeah, for sure. Dave, what did you think about uh, – there was a lot of talk about Martinez and – this being year four for him, you know, and the, what the expectations are. What are your expectations of a fourth-year starting quarterback, you know, coming back here and not really having – I'm not saying there's no one pushing him, but it's pretty clear who's going to be the starter come September. Yeah, well, he's – if as 
far as Adrian goes, Nebraska will go, I think, mm-hmm. this year. He has a better surrounding cast around him, at least, again, on paper, it seems to be that that way. Um, so if uh, we see that running back room improve, we see the wide receivers that we were just talking about um, be there for him, he uh, should have a very solid statistical year. Um, if he can turn the turnovers down, and make some heady plays at the right moments, um, some winning plays, now we got something, right? He's done some things in a Nebraska uniform um, that are exceptional. Um, I really want to see him limit the mistakes and the bad plays. Uh, Talked to him about this, but uh, the Rutgers game, Rutgers game, the last game of the year, was an example. Uh, you know, I think he was 24 or 28 or something like that uh, with a bunch of yards rushing and a bunch of yards passing and two fumbles and two interceptions and one other really bad play and other than like other than that he played like a all-conference player um if he can uh, make sure and, and be efficient and not make those mistakes he's got enough talent uh to carry us as far as as we want to go i mean he's going to have gaudy numbers at the end of his career at this point there's no doubt about that but um what he needs is a winning season to turn around his legacy mm-hmm. Mac, one other thing that we have focused a lot on here over the this offseason is the clear vision of the size of the team, just the physicality and the size of these guys were getting bigger. And this kind of goes in line a little bit with the performance index and everything, but it's also it's just the recruiting. We're just bigger across the board. Frost talked about that, the size and the physicality. You know, you can be physical in those things, whether you're snapping the ball to a quarterback under center or, or in shotgun. Um and, and that's where we've needed to improve. I think we have made improvements, um, still have some improvement to make, uh, but it's certainly going to give us a better chance to, to compete and, and win in the, in the physical battle when, when we're a bigger, stronger, faster football team. Uh, so between recruiting and, and the work Zach and his group's done, um, I think we're going to have a chance to fight with and, and hopefully win our share of the battles all year. And um, size definitely helps. How do you see that playing itself itself out here, you know, over the course of the spring? We need to get physical. We need to be able to play physical ball and whatever we need to do to get ready for that, we got to do. It's, it can't be protecting or hiding players. We got to we got to get these guys ready to go. So, um with with the testing numbers they're showing, it they're the reason you work that hard in the offseason, the reason you lift that much and stretch is to not get injured so you can practice at a level to, to be a, a competent team going forward and, and not being unused to the kind of contact you're going to face. So if the hay is all in the barn, so to speak, then I let these guys rip, man. There's there's nothing – like year four, it, you just got to let them go. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Dave, that size and that strength, the physicality, Frost went on to talk about the focus being on hanging our hat on something. And I think we could probably – picture what what that is on both offense and defense so we're really going to focus on on being a physical team on fundamentals up front uh, fundamentals in the run game on defense um, I think if we get really good at those things then some of our base things will work a little bit better uh, then we can get creative with some others but I, I told the team we need to be able to hang our hat on the, the things that we do and do them well have those turn into positives for us uh, and if we can lean on those things, then, then we'll be able to make some plays with some other creative things. When you think offensively, you know, what do we need to be able to hang our hat on? What are some of the things that you envision with the personnel that we have right now, the roster we have? What are the things that you can see being successful on a, on a regular basis, things that we're going to go to 
you know, when we need to get that first down, when we are, when we're going to score that touchdown. Well, I was thinking on the defensive side of the ball, actually, Honk, is that uh, we have to hang our hat on solid run defense, mm-hmm. right? I think we're going to be tested on that out of the gates uh, with uh, Belima kind of changing the offense up there in Champaign with Illinois. Uh, also, Buffalo, Lance Leopold likes to run the ball. So a couple of our very first games out of the gate are going to be against run-heavy teams. And if we can uh, have have solid run defense to hang our hat on on that side of the ball, I'm going to be feeling a lot better about everything else. I think those are great points. Mac, offensively, what are some things you're looking for, the hang-your-hat moments uh, uh, with this offense? Quarterback run game. I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's going to be you know we can talk as much as we want hanging to. Hanging our hat on that too much. If it's third and one or, or or we're third and goal on the one, sneak it. You know. Well, <laughs> hey Mac, how about this? How about that side screen game? But instead of it being a Wandell Robinson size guy, it is Torre in that slot position. Do you see that you know being run differently? Do you see lineups where Torre's at slot and outside of him might be? Uh, an Omar Manning or a Betts or a Fedoni type of guy, yeah. big outside receiver outside of him. Now all of a sudden, does that play get run a little better, a little differently? Well, for sure. I mean, that corner's got a heck of a lot more to decide what to deal with in terms of blocking. Not only that, but if they decide that the the scheme's too big and they move a linebacker over, then that opens up the middle to to run the ball. So sure, uh, that size is going to pay dividends as long as we play smart. And get him the ball, and and you know don't trip ourselves up. Let's. I just want to see what this looks like if that were to happen, yep. and then we'd have a better idea of what Frost actually knows what he's talking about. You know, but you know, right now pieces are in play. Play your best ball and let the chips fall. I have I have no problem with that. My only concern going into this season, and really, if we look back at that list, if it's not more disciplined, cleaner play, I don't really know what to do with the rest of the year. It's it's going to be a crappy year. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> No, it's exactly right, Mac. The quote of the night. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, it's, it really is that simple. I mean, I think a lot of this will look really good if uh, we just can execute and play clean ball for a change. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, before we head off to parting shots, I do want to talk a little baseball. Uh, we did have a awesome four-game homestand versus Minnesota over the weekend where we had fans in attendance. In fact, I believe Sunday's game was an actual sellout, uh, considering the limited capacity. Still had around 2,700 people there watch Nebraska uh, sweep the Golden Gophers. Um, we have a couple of these odd four-game series this year with the All-Big Ten schedule. And uh, last weekend was one of those. Uh, Huskers looked good on both uh, offense and defense there. Uh, Shea Shanneman in particular Sunday night, or Sunday afternoon, excuse me, had a, a really great uh, performance, I uh, believe around seven innings, 10 strikeouts. Um, but overall, the team produced uh, um, really well. Mac, yeah, you mentioned you were out there on, on Saturday, actually, and got us to uh, see one of the games in person. Yeah, it was that was so much fun to finally see some sta- uh, you know fans in the stands and you know, actually go to a baseball game and get a hot dog, you know, which I got too. <laughs> you know, no big deal, a little heartburn. But um it was windy. You know, I don't care how many people showed up. That mezzanine is freezing in March. March is a big liar in Nebraska. It looks nice out, but the wind will just kill you. So, I mean, there was a great turnout for that, you know, and to win all the games in that 
that early morning game that I was at, a few errors in there maybe helped the game along, but um, it's a fun team to watch, you know, and actually have some power through the lineup and a few guys that can really, really jack it. So, and I don't know who our second relief pitcher is, but there were a bunch of guys with radar guns right behind the home plate gunning him every time. I, I was it Schnellenbach or Schlellenbach that Spencer Schwellenbach is the guy who has the big arm, yeah. the high heat. He throws upper nineties. Yeah. yeah, they they were all gunning him. So yeah, it was it was just fun to see. You know, peanuts and cracker jacks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, the weather um, got better as the weekend. I think got on. Uh, didn't have any rain issues overall. And uh, offensively, I mean, this this team can hit. Um, Minnesota definitely found that out. Seventeen runs in one game. 10 more on Sunday. Uh, it, there's just a lot of a lot of bats in this lineup, um, top to bottom, and uh, that's that's showing up already. Honky, you got to be excited about Will Bolt in this era, right? Well, uh, what are we, 11 and 4? Which, 11 and 4? You know, Indiana, I think, is 11 and 3. Michigan's 11 and 4. We're tied with Michigan. Michigan is ranked right now. They just got to be 25th this week, and I think they're the only uh, Big Ten team that's that's in the rankings. You know, Dave, you've kind of said if we can be in the top four, you thought, that at least we would be in a conversation postseason. No guarantees, but, you know, at least you're in the conversation. Right now we're in the top three, and, you know, I I like where we're sitting right now. Keep getting better from here. Uh, How would you feel just competition-wise up to this point? We have 11 wins. You know, was Minnesota probably the the worst of the wins, or was Purdue? And who who have been the best wins that we've had? No, that's a good question. Yeah, you can look at those top three. We probably had the easiest set with uh, four games against Minnesota, uh, and then the three versus Purdue, going six and one in those, I believe. Um, you know, as of right now, I'd say that the wins versus Ohio State and Iowa probably look the best so far. Mm-hmm. Um, Illinois is coming up this weekend, and that will be an opportunity. They don't have a great RPI or anything like that. They're kind of in the middle of the the pack right now, but I think. Um, there's some respect out there for the Fighting Illini program. Uh, going forward, we've got four games versus Indiana, I believe, two to neutral site, two in Bloomington, and then get Michigan at home to end the year. And so that's where you're really going to have to make your hay, I think, is, mm-hmm. is beating those teams um, up head-to-head. And I think if you can look solid in those seven games and, and finish in the top three, uh, got to like your chances. Yeah, the way this schedule pans out is it's just kind of weird. I mean, April, we play the middling and lower tier of the Big Ten, so you can really stockpile a bunch of wins there and get that get that record up, and that's what you need to do. I mean, when you play teams like Minnesota, you need to win, you know, three out of the four, if not all four, and you can do that in college ball, you know, if you've got a solid roster. Any pitching depth will get you a long ways, and we can bat like we've been doing. You can win those games, and then once May rolls around, that's when we do get you know, Indiana and we have a, we play Rutgers five times and they're actually decent Northwestern and Ohio state again. And then we end that season with Michigan. So, you know, like we said, hopefully you can stockpile a bunch of wins and then make it count against the, the upper echelon in the conference and ride that for what you can. Yep. That's right. I mean, you have to like the way they, they play the game, right? The attitude just, um, you know, reeks of, of Will Bolt, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it, it just, it's so amazing. Uh, that a team can take on the characteristics of their coach so quickly. And so um, it's a really positive sign. And um, 
if they can start racking up some wins, like to Boomer's point, um, you know, maybe they'll start getting a little more attention nationally and, and then put themselves in a position to um, make some noise in the NCAA tournament. You know, I, I'm not a X's and O's uh, genius when it comes to uh, uh, baseball, as you guys know, but there was a play over the weekend against Minnesota where Bolt sent a double steal. And apparently, it, I think it screwed up the, the catcher. I think, you know, we, they ended up getting an air. We ended up getting like a run out of it. And I remember listening to the radio guys and they talked about, you know, oh, how aggressive that was. And Dave, when I hear that, it just, to me, it just harkens back to the days of Van Horn. I remember going to some games with you where, I mean, we were just so aggressive on the baselines, just <laughs> sending guys. I mean, we would put so much pressure on the other team. Is that bolt ball? Is there going to be a lot of Van Horn kind of in what we do right now? Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think that's uh, an attitude born out of really coming from the college ranks and always being in the college ranks. Um, that's nothing against Erstad. I think there's a lot of coaches that um, probably coach um, a little more conservatively, especially if you have major league or pro experience. But in college, um, if you, you press the issue – you often get rewarded, um, right? Because fielding percentages, um, the fact that you may see um, just some mistakes out on the f- playing field um, can take a, a one or two run inning and, and turn it into a four, five, six run inning because a couple of mistakes that get made, right? And Will Bolt will push the issue and force a team to make the plays to get you out opposed to letting them get out with a, just a strikeout or a fly ball, right? And so that's an attitude that he gets from Van Horn. It's paid dividends for Dave Van Horn for decades, and uh, hopefully we'll see more of that here at Nebraska with Will Bolton, and um, and that will be his signature. All right, guys, um, one more thing really quick. Basketball-wise, we did get a, a transfer in, Honk. Uh, C.J. Welcher, I believe, Um you know, he was one of the names that we threw out uh, last week as a potential transfer in. This is an Xavier guard. I actually have a, a good friend out here, um, Mr. White, uh, Honk, you know, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. And he's an Xavier alum, follows that basketball program very closely. He was very high on CJ. I think he's a really great shooter, um, big um, big guard who can um, do a lot. And so uh, he he was raving about him. He just there's a lot of depth of that position at Xavier, and he just wanted to get uh, more immediate playing time. And um, mm-hmm. that's what I expect he sees uh, with this transfer to Nebraska. And similar to McGowan's transferring a year ago, and now bringing a, a five star younger brother with him, this Welcher he has a younger brother as well. I believe a five star. That's uh, maybe a sophomore or junior right now, but Nebraska has now reached out to that kid as well. So who knows if it, this might uh, lead to another recruit down the line. Absolutely. Yep. Um, hey, that's how you play the game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Good stuff, guys. Uh, let's uh, head into those parting shots. And um, I'm going to start with Mac. Well, Redcasters, I just want to encourage you all to uh, get out and enjoy these these spring days as they as they hit us. Um, it'd be nice when the, they finally announce the full attendance for the spring game to get a, get some people down there and um, kind of get things back to normal. I'm I'm really excited to seeing that about seeing that and really kind of having a summer again this year. It's been too long. Yeah, that's the truth, Mac Boomer. Well, I'll take a honky approach and just give a couple of quick shout-outs here. Uh, first, um, just wanted to congratulate uh, the 
11 seed, plucky underdog, UCLA Bruins making the final four. Just good to see a team, you know, just come, you know, come so far. It's never had a chance at anything like this, like a basketball championship before. So congrats to them and all their fans. It's a Cinderella story. It's a Cinderella story. Yep, yep. About to become NCAA champion. Anyway, uh, aside from that, uh, we talk in baseball. And, you know, another fun thing is minor league baseball. And I wanted to give props to... uh, a new team that's launching this year with the possibly the greatest uh, mascot and t-shirt ever, the uh, Carolina Disco Turkeys, are launching out in Winston-Salem. And if you have not <laughs> seen their logo, I highly, highly recommend it. I'll uh, put another link to it in our Twitter feed after this, and it, it's it's glorious. I, I'm going to have to get a t-shirt of it. It's, you know, it's surpl- it surplanted the uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas as my new favorite uh, <laughs> minor league mascot. It's it, it's wonderful. It's, uh, Boomer, I thought about this because you sent that to us over text, and I was like, you think of, like, the the musical opportunities they could have, like, you know, if some guy's fouling a bunch, they could be playing Staying Alive. Or... Oh, yeah. Everything writes itself on this, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's endless, the opportunities for this. Cross promotions, branding, just sales everywhere. It, it's marvelous. So <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right, Hunk, get us out of here. Well, I'll start on a, a somber note here. And uh, Howard Schnellenberger, the former Miami uh, Hurricanes football coach, he passed away over the weekend. And uh, I tweeted out when that happened that obviously the 84 Orange Bowl, it was no doubt painful for us as Husker Nation, but it did start a dynasty for Miami. And that's all the more impressive when you consider that the Miami trustees held a vote to disband the program in 1978, just prior to Schnellenberger coming to Coral Gables. So, you know, what he stepped into and what he ended up leaving there, because that, that was his last game at Miami. You know, in fact, of all things, he went on to coach at like Louisville afterwards. I believe he went to uh, maybe the USFL in between those stints, Honk. I think he had a pro um, excursion for a very short amount of time. Um, maybe they lost a lawsuit. Some owner of the New Jersey Generals failed or something like that. I don't know what happened. Well, sure. um, <laughs> And then he went to Louisville. Then he went to Louisville. And Louisville, again, wasn't what they were today. Um, they were not a, a major program yet at the time. And so, and then he eventually, you know, ended up at Oklahoma for a year in 95. But, uh, what he did there at Miami, I mean, he created a dynasty that, you know, still there today. Also, you know, Dave, you mentioned the 2700, the sellout for baseball last weekend. And, and Frost talked about how much he missed the fans this past year. I'm just, I just miss the fans, uh, going through that year with no fans was rough. Uh, that's part of what makes Nebraska special is people filling Memorial Stadium in the Sea of Red. And um, I'm sure as many fans as we can have in the spring game, uh, they'll be there. And uh, really got our fingers crossed that uh, come September we have some home games and and we're able to see a full stadium. And I guess just as a fan, we missed it too. It was so good to see fans posting on social media from Hawks Field. I heard that Haymarket did really well that night, and and that's so good to hear after a a year of a, a lot of businesses, you know, just struggling by not having those fans and those people come out. And so keep doing the right things, Redcasters. You know, do all the things that you need to do. I'm going in and getting my second vaccine on Thursday, on April Fool's Day. So hopefully they don't poke me a bunch of times and say oops and joke around with it. But you know, I'm going to be done with it. And I encourage everyone else if you haven't got the call, when you do get the the vaccine. Keep wearing the mask. Do the things that we got to do. And to be able to see days like last weekend where people are in the stands. Dave, you are going to opening day of the, the Rockies here shortly. Can't wait. To have that again, do what we got to do. Let's get through these last few months of this. And let's start off in August and, and next season. Let's start off. Let's get 100% in those stands. 
Anyways, keep doing what you're doing. Go Big Red. Absolutely. All right, guys. Great show. Enjoyed it. Looking forward to uh, next week's spring ball breakdown of the offense. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. GBR. Hoda Media Production.